Well, good morning, Journey. Hey, so if you've not been to Israel yet, that was like a little sneak peek of what Israel is from Jerusalem to some of the cities in northern Israel, a little bit of the Sea of Galilee. We hope you will join us there. One day, glad you're here at Journey today. For those of you in our video teaching service, good morning. Uh, every Sunday you sit in a video teaching service is one Sunday that we are closer to being back together in a building. But if you're in a video teaching service, I look forward to getting back to you soon. And thank you for being on mission with us today. I want to start by having you reach into your bulletins today and open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 18. As we begin a one-month series on Hezekiah, we're going to start today in 2 Kings 18, just meeting the man a little bit. You can pull your notes out of your bulletin, but also inside your bulletin is this little card that says movement. We have said at Journey this year, we want 2020 to be marked by movement. And the very first movement in your life, if you are a follower of Jesus that you are supposed to take, your very first step spiritually is to be baptized by immersion. That means all the way under the water once you have chosen to follow Jesus. If you've not done that yet, March at Journey is gonna be baptism month. We're baptizing every Sunday. Last Sunday, we baptized 16 people at Journey. Their stories were unbelievable. God is certainly on the move at our church. But one of the ways for you to move spiritually is if you've not done this yet, sign up. Every Sunday in February, you'll have an opportunity to sign up. And then all five Sundays in March, the first time we've ever done it in the history of our church, we will baptize every Sunday for an entire month because we want kids who have invited Jesus into their life, parents who have invited Jesus into their life, senior citizens who have invited Jesus into their life and not been baptized by immersion yet to get baptized. So this is your chance. You can drop this in the offering bucket. Uh, when it passes by at the end of the service, you can drop it uh, in the boxes in the back as you leave. We start a brand new series today on Hezekiah. Why? Say, so why is Hezekiah important? Hezekiah very uniquely among the kings of the Old Testament walked with God. And we want to study Hezekiah not to learn about Hezekiah. We will learn about Hezekiah, but that's not the point of the series. The point of the series is to learn how Hezekiah walked with God so we can learn how to walk with God. That's our prayer for you. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, we want to teach you how to follow well. We want to teach you how to walk with God. So Hezekiah is going to be our role model, our example, our teacher, but we're studying his life to apply what is in his life to our life, not just to become history experts, but to become better followers of Jesus. Today, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 2 trying to do that, and I've got two keys as we kind of kick off this month at Journey, this series. Here's the first goal that I have. I want you to answer a key question about your spiritual epitaph. How would you today, if your life was over today, how would you be remembered spiritually? And is it the way you want to be remembered spiritually? We're going to talk a little bit today about spiritual legacy. How would your spiritual epitaph write today? How will you be remembered? What are you pursuing today so that you'll be remembered in a very specific way one day when you're not here anymore? That's the question we're going to ask today. That's one of our goals. And then number two, we want to learn how to apply the standard of Hezekiah's walking with God to our life. We're going to see something that Hezekiah did that made his life unique that allowed him to walk closely with God. And we're going to say, okay, Hezekiah did this. Can we do it? How do we do it? Will we do it? So two goals today to, to think about our spiritual epitaph. How, how are you seen spiritually? How do you want to be remembered spiritually? And then how do we take what we learned from Hezekiah today and apply that to our life? Those are the goals today. Before we ever dig into scripture at our church, we pause, we take a deep breath, we kind of settle our lives a little bit. We ask God to speak to our hearts. So in our video teaching service in here, would you just bow your heads with me briefly? Would you take that deep breath you've been meaning to take all week long, but keep forgetting to? 
And if you're a praying person, would you ask God to speak to your heart today? God, that's our prayer here for those watching online, listening midweek, for those in our video teaching service today. God, help us to take the time today to think about how we want to be remembered spiritually one day when this life is over. Help us to see a key part of walking with you from King Hezekiah's story and teach us how to apply that to our own story, God. That's our prayer. We pray you'll help us with these things today, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. In 2 Kings chapter 18, we meet a king named Hezekiah. We're going to read a little bit of text first, and then I'm going to teach you just some kind of quick facts on who Hezekiah was that you need to be aware of. 2 Kings chapter 18, we're going to read through verse 8. It says, in the third year of Hoshea, son of Ella, the king of Israel, remember Israel and Judah had had a civil war. Hezekiah was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, not the northern kingdom of Israel. In the third year of Hoshea, the son of Ella, king of the northern kingdom of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places. He smashed the sacred stones. He cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. You and I see it on our ambulances today, this snake wrapped around a pole. That's what they had begun to worship there because of an event in their history rather than the God of their history. Verse 5, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord. And he did not stop following him. He kept the commands of the Lord that the Lord had given Moses. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. Today, I want to introduce you to Hezekiah. We're going to learn just a little bit about his life today. We're only going to look at two verses kind of in depth today in Hezekiah's story. But for the next four weeks, We'll look at Hezekiah, we'll see how he walked with God, and we'll learn we can do some of the exact same things that he did. Who was Hezekiah? Number one, Hezekiah was the 13th ruler of the kingdom of Judah. Remember, civil war, Israel, the kingdom of Israel was to the north in Israel, the kingdom of Judah was to the south. Hezekiah was the 13th ruler of the king of Judah. His potential leadership of Judah was sometime between 728 to 686 B.C., with periods of co-regency with both his father and his son Manasseh. It's it's interesting trying to nail down exactly when Hezekiah was king because there's a lot of conflicting dates. We know his leadership reign was from 728 to 686. At some point in those years, for 29 of those years, he was king all by himself. Maybe at the beginning, he was king with his dad. Maybe at the end, he was king with his son. One of the things that makes this so hard to date is we're told in scripture very clearly that his dad died when his dad was 36. He became king when he was 25, which means we have a a gap in the timeline or his dad had like the greatest sixth grade dance ever, right? Like, Like if you just like put the dates together, you're like... Yeah, that, pro- that probably didn't happen. So, so like it's, at some point, we're, like we're, we're missing some time in there, but we can date because of the fall of Israel, 728 to 686 BC. Hezekiah was ruling in that area, which means we can learn a lot about his faith life. Hezekiah introduced religious reforms, number two, to try to reestablish the independence of the kingdom of Judah that his father Ahaz had given away. We're going to talk about how long 
That independence was given away a little further down in our message. We know, number three, that Judah's King Hezekiah is one of the most historically credible people in all of Scripture because of modern archaeological finds. As a matter of fact, I would go as far to say there is nobody in the Old Testament who has been so well attested to have existed through archaeology than Hezekiah. From 2009 to 2013, they were doing archaeological digs on the southern steps of the Temple Mount of Israel right here where this is circled red. It's called the Ophel sections. We were there about two weeks ago, and they found 33 bulla, uh, or what would look like to you and I, dimes. Go to the next section if you will. They're the size of dimes, and these were seals that were inscribed. This is how you would stamp something. Usually your bulla, your seal would be on a ring, and when you would sign an official document for yourself, you would dip your ring in wax and you would, you would stamp the document, this is who you are. And this seal says that this is the seal of Hezekiah, the son of King Ahaz, the king of Judah. He is one of the most historically credible people in all of the Bible. There is no historian that does not believe that he existed. We also know a ton about him spiritually. Why? Because number four, King Hezekiah's reign and his spiritual leadership are known in tremendous detail because Isaiah, one of the major writing prophets, was a spiritual voice in his life and his times, the entire time he was king. So not only do we have a little bit in 2 Kings, not only do we have a little bit in 2 Chronicles, hey, here's who this king was, we have the day-to-day occurrence of it in Israel um, through the eyes of Isaiah, so we can put these stories together big time. And more than that, both King Hezekiah, number five, and his father, King Ahaz, are mentioned in extra-biblical history from the Assyrian Empire. Say, what does that mean? Kings who had nothing to do with Israel, Judah, Judaism, or Scripture mentioned them in the exact same context that the Bible mentioned them. One of my favorite things in the Israeli museum is is an artifact called Sennacherib's hexagonal prism. If you show this, this this was written by the general of the Assyrian army, just talking about all of the people he defeated. And in this, he talks about his siege of Jerusalem, and he talks about shutting up King Hezekiah like a bird in a cage. The Bible says that happened. His, kind of the, his, one of his commanders, Tiglath-Pileser III, the ruler of Assyria, wrote on a clay tablet that he collected taxes from King Hezekiah's dad, King Ahaz, the ruler of Judah. So we know, what you, you could shut your Bible, never open it, and know that King Hezekiah was the king of Judah, that his dad was King Ahaz, that he was the king of Judah, and that during their reigns, they struggled with battling Assyria. You don't need any part of scripture to tell you that. History tells you that. And nobody in scholarship can deny that because of all the extra biblical evidence. These two kings, the events surrounding their lives that we're gonna learn about are as well attested historically, which means they really happened as anything that happened in the entire Old Testament. And Hezekiah and his life will be our teacher for learning how to walk with God the next few weeks at our church. Two goals today. Talk about our spiritual epitaph. What is yours? How do you want to be remembered? Goal number two, how do we take what Hezekiah did in his life and apply it to our own? Lots of things to learn from Hezekiah. We're going to zero in on two of them today in two verses. Verse three and verse six, we're going to start number one with a question. We're going to start with a question that's kind of presented to us in verse three. But before we get to that question, let me ask you this question. What are you planning to put on your tombstone? Have you thought about that? Have you, have you done some study on it and thought, this is what I want 
on the back of my tombstone. If you get a chance to listen to the Activate podcast this week, I share with you what I want on the back of my tombstone. I've been thinking about it for about 20 years, and I've decided what I want on my tombstone. If you want to know what that is, check out our Activate podcast this week. But maybe I could give you some ideas. Maybe you want the back of your tombstone to be really spiritual. And if you want the back of your tombstone to be really spiritual, you might be like Kim. I saw this week Kim's headstone. There's a picture of her on the phone and her family just simply put, Jesus called and Kim answered. There she is answering the phone. So maybe you want yours to be spiritual. Jesus called, Kim answered, and now Kim is with Jesus. Maybe you want it to be unspiritual like Walter. Uncle Walter loved to spend. He had no money in the end, but with many a whiskey and many a wife, he really did enjoy his life. I mean, maybe... Maybe you say, I, I, don't, I just want my tombstone to be honest. I don't, I don't want it to be spiritual at all. Maybe you want it to be helpful like Kay. I don't know who Kay was, but I could make her fudge. Kay's fudge had two squares of chocolate, two tablespoons of butter, melted on low heat, throw in a little sugar and vanilla and soft, cook it to the softball stage. I've never met Kay, but I could eat her fudge. Maybe you want yours to be helpful, or maybe you want yours to be spiteful. Maybe the thing you want your family to know, we don't know who this was, but I, I told you, I told you, told you, tried to tell you that I, that I needed to go to the doctor. I told you I was sick. What do, you, what do you want? What do you want on your tombstone? More than that, more than that. How do you want to be remembered spiritually? That's, that's, really one of the, that's really one of the key questions that we are asked through the study of Hezekiah's story. How do you want to be remembered spiritually? Look at verse 3. Here's how Hezekiah is remembered spiritually. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. I want you to keep that verse up for just a second, guys. Because every ruler of Judah had this verse written about them. Every one of them. Everyone had this verse. And they read one of four ways. They did what was right. They did not do what was right. They just did evil. Or they did what was right, however. They did what was right, however. There's this other thing in their life, and it really, even though they did what was right most of the time, their however really hurt them spiritually. Key question. If those are your options, how does your spiritual epitaph read today? You do what was right, you walk with God. You do not do what was right, you do not walk with God. You do evil, you do the opposite of what was right, or you, you, do, you do what is right spiritually most of the time. However, 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 there's this thing, the title of our Bible study today, you may have caught it, however. You do what was what is right spiritually most of the time. However, there's this area. It's interesting, I put a chart in your uh, sermon notes. When you look at the rulers of Israel, we've got them all, and we've got this line. Uh, The first ruler, King Rehoboam, Solomon's son, he did evil. Uh, Second ruler, King Abijah, Rehoboam's son, he did not walk in the way of his father David. He didn't do what was right. King Asa did, he did, good story. King Jehoshaphat, he did. However, he had some really poor friendships that hurt him in the end. King Jehoram, he, he did evil. King Ahaziah, he did, he did evil. They were both uh, related to King Ahab of Israel. Queen Athaliah, she wasn't even formally recognized because she usurped the throne and became queen in Israel for about a decade. 
King Joash did. He did what was right. However, he had some vices spiritually that hurt him. King Amaziah, he did what was right. However, he had an area to his struggle. King Uzziah, he did what was right. However, some areas that he really struggled in. King Jotham, or Jotham, he did what was right. However, However, he had some things that he really struggled with. And then King Ahaz, Hezekiah's dad, he, he did not do what is right. You look at this list of kings in Judah, and you think none of those people, very few of those people, except for maybe this guy, deserve to be called the king of God's people. They shouldn't be called the leader of God's people. How did they get to lead Israel? That's a really good question. And because they didn't, follow God well. Most of them were not king long. They were not king successfully. As a matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah said to King Ahaz, the line that we're all thinking as we look at this list of spiritual leaders in Isaiah 7, 9, here's what Isaiah said to Hezekiah's dad. If you're not going to stand firm in your faith, you're not going to stand at all. Like you're the king of Israel. You're, you're, the, you're the king of the kingdom of Judah. You, you hold the key to God's city, Jerusalem. And if you are not going to stand firm in your faith, you're not going to stand at all in this whole line of kings before him had not really stood firm in their faith. So they were not, by the time of Hezekiah, they were not standing at all. And if you just go to ancient history, Sennacherib, the ruler of Assyrian's army, says they were not standing at all. And his king, Tiglath-Pileser III, said they were not standing at all. These people paid me money. I was their God. We were their rulers. Not the God of heaven, not Yahweh, the God of Israel. Because they didn't stand firm in faith, they didn't stand at all. As a matter of fact, King Ahaz, Hezekiah's dad, was the first king in Israel or Judah that would sell his alliance. He chose to become a vassal state. He chose to say, you can be in charge, we'll pay you taxes. He chose to give up his status of independent state, independent rulership. You say, how long did it take him to get it back? Not until May 14th, 1948, when the country of Israel declared independence, was Israel ever free from foreign rule again. And Ahaz handed it over. Nearly 3,000 years of leadership he gave away because he was not willing to stand firm in his faith. So he did not stand at all. Question, what is your spiritual epitaph read? Because if you ask me as I scan through these, the most dangerous spiritual epitaph for spiritual legacy is the last one. They did what was right, however. They did what was right, however, because none of them ended up standing firm because their however eventually took the place of their faith. So let me ask you a question. If you say my spiritual epitaph today, Christian, if I could be honest, February 2020, my spiritual epitaph today probably reads, most of the time, I am really locked in spiritually. In most areas of my life, I really follow God. However, in my marriage, however, with my kids, however, at work, however, with my coworkers or my employees, however, with my finances or my friendships, however, from time to time on my computer or my smartphone, in most areas of my life, I really do what is right spiritually. However, there's just, just one little thing. Eventually, your however 
will take the place of your faith. And like every ruler of Hezekiah before him, you will not stand firm because you're not standing firm in faith. If your kids or your spouse or your employees or your coworkers had to tell your story today, would they both see your faith and have experienced your however? I know this person has got, their, their faith is really, really important to them. However, boy, if there's a bad day at the office, I know their faith is really, really important to them. However, when they get out on the golf course with the people they work with, they kind of cut it loose a little bit. However, well, I know their faith is really, really important to them. However, maybe your wife has said to you what my wife has said to them. I feel like you give your best to everyone else spiritually, and sometimes you have nothing left for me. Christian, sometimes you're a great pastor to everyone. However, you don't leave anything for your family sometimes. What's your however? Because part of today's message has to be identifying and dealing with your however if you want to walk with God the way Hezekiah walked with God. However, however, however is a dangerous spiritual legacy. You say, how do I get the however out of my life? How do I get the however out of my life? You got to begin to follow the standard that Hezekiah followed. So the first thing we see is a question in verse three. It brings up a question of spiritual legacy. How are we gonna be remembered? But then we see in verse six a a standard. We see a standard. We learn, and we will learn through this series that Hezekiah faithfully walked with God without a however. He was the first king in 10 generations. Think about that. He was the first king in 10 generations to walk faithfully with God without a however. You say, how did he do that? I want to do that. Because I've been born and raised in a family that walked with God. However, we had some things. And I'd like to change it for my kids. I'd like to change that in my story. I'd like to change that in my legacy. I would like to walk with God without a however. How did Hezekiah do that? That's the question to ask today. What did he do different? Look at verse 6. Here's what he did different. It's something that you and I can do. He held fast to the Lord. And did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. You say, how did Hezekiah walk with God without a however? He went back 700 years and claimed a promise and said, I'm going to follow this one. You see, 700 years before Hezekiah, the first leader of Israel after Moses was named Joshua. Before there was a judge in Israel. Before there was a king in Israel, before there was a divided kingdom, before there were kings of Israel and Judah, before there was anything in Israel, there was just a people getting ready to take a land, and the baton of leadership had been handed to a young general named Joshua. And the very first promise that that God made to the very first leader of Israel after Moses concerned a promise tied to the scriptures that Moses had received from God. Before a judge, before a king, before divided kingdoms, before really a land, before any of that, the very first leader of Israel after Moses received a promise. But that promise was tied to the scriptures God had given Moses. And here is the promise in Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. God told Joshua, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey All the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right. Don't turn from it to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Look at verse 8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Talk about it. Think about it. 
so that you can be careful to do everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. Let me speak to followers of Jesus who are here, who are in our video teaching service, who also lead in your life, in your outside life. You are are by definition, you might have to put them together, but you're a Christian who is also a leader. If you hope to be successful in your leadership life as a follower of Jesus, you have to tie your life to the scriptures. If you are a Christian who leads in any capacity, if you are a Christian leader, even if you have to put those things together, even if you manage a group at work, if you're a school teacher, if you're a coach, if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, who leads anyone? God's promise is if you will tie your life to scripture, you will have spiritual success wherever you go, but you cannot be a Christian who's leading with no tie to the scriptures. That will not work spiritually. So Hezekiah goes back and he claims this promise. Danielle and I saw a pretty good movie on Friday called Just Mercy. Has anyone seen that movie? It's about an attorney who moves to the South in the late 80s, early 90s to work with uh, people who, who have been wrongfully convicted and who are on death row. Um, it's, it's a pretty in, incredible movie. True story. And it was set in between 1987 to like 1993. And as we were watching the movie, I turned to Danielle at some point during the movie because I was in high school in like the early 90s. Like I lived through the late 80s. And I said, I don't remember the world looking as old as they're portraying. Is they're portraying like... That looks like 1959, not 1989. I remember 1989, and I don't think it looked like that, but, but it, like it probably, it must have, right? Like, it must have just looked way older than I remembered it looking, because, like, things have changed, right? Things, things have changed. Um, if you grew up in my generation, things have changed. A lot of those changes happened, like, while, while we were in high school. I remember my junior year of high school, things changed. Things changed radically. I remember when I showed up my junior year of high school, they had taken all the typewriters out of the typing lab. Did any of you go to school with, like, not, and they they had replaced them with computers. So we went from having typing classes, ding, 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 like, like typing classes to keyboarding classes. Like, did anyone else, like, live through that transition? Like, that all the typewriters were gone, and now we had computers. There was a day my junior year, I lived in the sticks, where our, our class, the junior class, got to drive 30 minutes to the public library in our community and we gathered around a computer and the teacher hit a couple keys and there were some weird noises and then like the screen popped on and she said, guys, like welcome to the internet. Like I took a field trip, <laughs> took a field trip to see the internet as junior in high school. And it was like, all right, when, like, when do we get to go to McDonald's? Like McDonald's was 30 minutes from my house. So it's like, okay, who cares? You know, let's, let's go. Thank you, Al Gore for the internet. Now let's go eat at, at, uh, at McDonald's. Like, Things changed. Things, like, like when, I was, when I was growing up, things changed, which means I remember, and some of you also remember, I remember when writing a paper in school meant writing a paper in school. Y'all remember when you had to write the entire paper, hand in the rough draft, and then on the, on the nice draft, like you would use a pen and you would have, maybe even curse it. Y'all remember writing? Y'all remember that? It's the way people under 30 are like, I, 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 I don't know. Right, like you'd write stuff. Like, I write a thank you card now. My hand hurts so bad afterwards. It's like, how did we ever write a three-page paper on something I didn't care about my sophomore year in high school? Like, I I remember writing, which as I think about Hezekiah's story kind of triggered my memory a little bit. Because you may not know this, but the kings of Israel, you should know this if you don't, the kings of Israel were actually required to handwrite their personal copy of scripture 
that they would keep and study as kings. Y'all know that? They had had to hand write their personal copy of scripture that they would keep as king and study as king. So you think, Christian, I don't believe that. It's all right. I can show it to you. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, God's given Moses the law for the future kings of Israel. And he says, when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll, a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priest. Why? It's to be with him and he's to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left, to any however. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over the kingdom of Israel. You say, what did, Hezekiah, what did Hezekiah do that made his life so special? I believe, because how Hezekiah followed Scripture, I believe Hezekiah wrote his own personal copy of Scripture. There's no doubt. And he kept it with him, and he studied it. Now, folks, when it comes to walking with God, listen, I'm not asking you to write your own copy of the Bible. But we can at least read one that's been written for us. Right? Like, I'm not asking you to open it up and copy it. I think that would be effective if you wanted to, honestly. And you'd probably learn it best that way. You'd read things you'd never wrote before as you had to write them down one word at a time. I'm not asking you to write your own copy of Scripture. But I am asking you how you think you and I can walk with God without at least reading what has been written for us. Because one of the last statements that Jesus made concerning people who followed him... One of the last statements he made for people who wanted to walk with God concerned their connection to God's truth. Jesus is praying for his disciples on the last night of his life before he's crucified. Then he begins praying for everyone who will follow Jesus because of their testimony. And in John chapter 17, verse 17, he prays this very simple truth. Jesus prayed, God, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. This word sanctify means set apart from set apart two. Jesus said, God, there's going to be a bunch of people who call themselves followers of Jesus in the world who, who come to faith in Jesus because of these disciples' testimony. God, I want them set apart from the world and set apart to you, but that's only going to happen through the scripture. That's only going to happen through the scriptures. Some of you are Christians. You don't consider yourselves leaders because you don't lead in your work life. So you kind of checked out for a minute, but let me, let me restate it this way. If you are a Christian who wants to have any spiritual leadership in your life, in your home, with your family, with a friend, you have to tie your life to the scriptures. If you're a Christian who wants to have any spiritual leadership in any area of your life, with your grandkids, with your neighbor, with your soccer team, you have to tie your life to scriptures. Because it's not just the scriptures that you're tying your life to. John chapter 1 says that the word became flesh and came and dwelt among us. His name was Jesus. So he could show us who God was. And listen, now the word will change your flesh. If you will allow the word to change your flesh, you will become like Jesus. And you will begin to show the world who God was if he was a man. I read it in my utmost first highest this week. People will begin to look at you and see your family likeness. Oh, she's a part of Jesus' family. Don't you see it? Don't you see it in her, 
in her face, in her coloring, she's a part of God's family. That only happens when you connect your life to the Word. The Bible's a fascinating book. Some of you already know these little stats. The Bible has two major sections, the Old Testament, the New Testament. 66 books, 39 of those are in the Old Testament, 27 are in the New Testament. 1,189 chapters, 929 in the Old Testament, 260 in the New. 31,102 verses in the Bible that most of us carry, roughly 611,000 words in the original languages, Hebrew, Greek, and a very little bit of Aramaic. It's a fascinating book. Every word of it, every chapter of it, every book of it, every section. It's a fascinating book. But when you look at what we learn about the Bible today, here's a couple things that we learn when we look at other Bible facts. It only takes one year to read the entire Bible if you read 12 to 15 minutes a day at a standard speaking pace. Again, I'm not asking you to write your own copy of the Bible. But what would your life look like if you took 12 to 15 minutes a day at the pace that I'm speaking, or maybe a little slower because I talk fast sometimes, and you read a little bit? That's really the goal of these Bible reading plans at the first Sunday of the year. We said in the entry areas that you'll come in, for those of you who might be at Summit Lakes on the next steps table as you walk out, a Bible reading plan reading the Bible entirely through in 365 days. This is divided in 12 to 15 minute increments, 365 days. So you can read the entire Bible. If you want to say, oh, I only have have five or six minutes a day. You could read the entire New Testament in a year easily, 365 days. Or if you say, I think I'll miss every other day, start with the New Testament. But if you're a follower of Jesus who wants to walk with Jesus and be more like Jesus, folks, you can't do it without this. And it doesn't even take that much time. I promise you it takes longer to write your own copy of scripture than it does to read the copy that someone else has given for you. We also learn this statistically. Women are more likely to read the Bible than men. So good job, ladies. Guys, come on. Come on, guys. Let's catch up. Older people are more likely to read the Bible than younger people. So older folks like myself, good job. Keep up. African-Americans are more likely to read the Bible than other races. Said our African-American community, good job. Thanks for leading the way. The others of us, maybe we ought to catch up. Lots of Bible facts, lots of interesting things. Sadly, here's our reality. Sadly, here, here is the reality of most churches, most Christians. Too many followers of Jesus have a however built into their commitment to and obedience to the scriptures. Hey, I plan to read the Bible. The Bible is very, very important to me. However, didn't have time last year. Hey, I set out one year to read the Bible in a year. However, I didn't finish. I know if I read the Bible, I would be way more like Jesus and way more effective for Jesus. However, however, however. Isaiah says you're going to stand firm in faith. You're not going to stand firm at all. We got to remove the however from our story, specifically in this area of reading the Bible, because I believe we're living in the land of Amos. The prophet Amos said in Amos 8, 11, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or of thirst or of water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. That looks a whole lot like America in 2020 to me. And, and let me go a step further. This looks like the American church in 2020. Let me go a step further. 
this looks like followers of Jesus in 2020. They're not hungry or thirsty for very many things except the word of God. And there they are severely malnourished because they've allowed some however to sit in their life. Folks, it's time to remove the however. And it's time to connect to the Holy One of Israel. It's time to connect to Jesus, the word that became flesh. It's time to let the word change our flesh so that we become more like Jesus. It's time to do that. And I believe that our church can. I believe this is the state of our church, but I believe it can be different. Because we've said 2020 is going to be a year of movement. And I'm convinced by how many people are serving. I'm convinced by how many people have moved to Summit Lakes Middle School. I'm convinced by how many people are bringing their friends. I'm convinced by how many people are being baptized that our church takes serious this year that it's time to move. So I believe you'll move with just a little bit of challenge and a little bit of direction. And Hezekiah gives that to us. You say, I want to walk with God without a however. You have to tie your life to the scriptures. 12 to 15 minutes a day. Lose the however get commitment 12 to 15 minutes a day and you can walk with God. First person we ever heard walk with God, Old Testament guy, Genesis chapter five and a genealogy named Enoch. We don't know very much about him, but we read in Genesis 5, 24 that he walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Scholars believe he enjoyed spending time with God so much that God says, okay, you can come full time. So he died very, very young for a man of of his age. God, God took him away because he walked with God. He was the first, he was not the last. Enoch walked with God. Abram then walked with God. Gosh, Abram had a great-great-grandson named Joseph. He walked with God. A kid named Moses grew up to walk with God. Then he handed the baton to someone named Joshua, who would walk with God. Joshua would hand the baton to a man named Samuel, who would walk with God. Samuel would anoint a king in Israel named David. He would walk with God. Then eventually we'd get to Hezekiah. He would walk with God. Now it's our turn. Now it's our turn to walk with God. But you cannot walk with God if you do not live tied to the scriptures. So journey, get going. It's a step this year, but it's an important step. No more howevers. Yes, I know the Bible's important. However, no more howevers in this area. It's time to lean into scripture. It's time to walk with God. If you're not a paper and pen type of person, your your journey app, if you go to the Bible, has this plan loaded into it. It's hard because it's listed by dates instead of days. I like this one. So if you miss a day, you don't feel like you've got to read 30 chapters in one day to catch up. Just read the next day, but give it your best. Read the New Testament, read the Old Testament, connect to the word of life so that it can change your heart and your life. I believe you can do it, but you got to run after the vision. Would you pray with me here today? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed all over the room. If you're here today, and you do not know the word that became flesh and made his dwelling among us so that you could connect to God. His name is Jesus. And if he's speaking to your heart, all you have to do is open your heart and say, Jesus, I need you. I am not connected to God. I need to be connected to God. Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my past. Become a very real part of my present and my future. Lead me in the days to come. If you don't know Jesus, you can. Just whisper that simple prayer where you are in your seat. You don't have to raise your hand. Come forward, fill out a form. You can have a moment of connection with God today if you need that. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed for the rest of us. God, for the rest of us, show us the reality of our spiritual legacy today. And what might need to change so that one day we are remembered like Hezekiah. 
God, remove our however, whatever it takes or wherever it has come from, our mom, our dad, our grandpa, if it's 10 generations old in our family, remove our however. If you're here this morning, if you're in our video teaching service this morning and you know your however as you sit here today and you know it needs to go, would you just confess that where you are? Ask God to remove it from your story. Right now, ask God to remove your however from your story. God, thank you for your direction and your promises in Scripture. Help us to make a commitment to tie our lives to Scripture so that we can faithfully walk with you like Enoch. If you're here and God is calling you to make a commitment to read the scriptures in 2020, to make a renewed commitment or a stronger commitment, just confirm that in prayer today. Just tell God, God, I hear you and I know I need to do it. I want to remove the however and I want to do it. Just ask God to help you. Tell him you're in. Start today. God, thank you for the faithfulness of King Hezekiah. Teach us to learn the things about his walk with God this month that we can apply to our lives so that we also can walk with you. God, we love you. And as a church today, full of followers of Jesus, that's our prayer. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen.